The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Good morning. How are you guys? Awesome. I have this crippling need for affirmation. I know I'm not up here alone. Okay, so how many of you have seen The Soloist? No one has seen The Soloist? Did someone say it's not out yet? Because I saw it Friday, so I don't know what I was watching then. It said The Soloist, so maybe that was deceived. All right, if you have an opportunity to do so, make the opportunity. It's an excellent film. A bit of a spoiler alert, it does not have a Hollywood ending because it's a true story. But I, I would tell you that there was a moment in that film that was, it was not the climax of the film, but it was probably the most emotional, um, powerful moment for me because I saw a man who was frustrated and tired and had grown impatient with another human being. And so as he lashes out and, and, and expresses his frustration, um, I realized that that's where I was in many cases. I want to take you to a familiar passage that if you've been to a wedding, how many of you guys have been to a wedding? Just keep your hands up. How many of you have, you were in the wedding? Keep your hands up, just for a second here. Because I want, to, I want to all to realize how many of us have been punished. So uh, how many of you have been married or you are married now? See, so you, see, we've all experienced this wedding thing, right? Okay. Almost everybody reads this passage. And I've officiated weddings where I'm looking at the bride and the groom, and they're so young and handsome and thin, you know. <laughs> and they take photos for a record of it. He, once we were actually good looking, and they tell their kids, no, you weren't. But some of you who know me, you've been to my home, you've seen that photo of my wife and I when we were <laughs> back in 1980. That was, you know, Lily looked cute, and I thought I had game, but man, that, there's evidence that I did not. So this passage I'm going to share with you is a passage that's read almost every wedding, and I know nobody hears it. So this morning I want to share it with you to tell you about this guy named Paul who wrote this magnificent passage about what love is. So here's how it begins. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. First thing, love is patient. Second, love is kind. And it does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I want, to, I want you to process this. That if you're this person that's not able to do this or hasn't done this, I'm, I, you, just, you just don't love that person. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. You're annoyed by that person. You're frustrated by that person, but you don't love that person. And even if part of you says right now, yes, but you don't know what they did, then you especially need to process this. Because I'm certain that all of you could tell me a story where you were molested, you were hurt, you were betrayed, you were lied to, you were mistreated by people who ought to have cared for you. And that pain has really branded your soul and hurt you. And most of us would say, wow, you have a right to be angry. While you may have a right to be angry, it is simply holding poison to stay there and not to forgive. So this is going on speaking about love. Keeps no records of wrong. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. 
And it's, it's that portion right there that you've heard me say, love wins in the end. Now, I, I'm going to have a, a bit of an inside conversation. Those of you who are visiting, maybe from another community or you're just visiting this spiritual community for the first time, I want to speak just briefly to those of us who claim to be followers that if we are offering anything else but love to a person, if we're offering religion, we're offering something that's not helpful. I want to stress even further by saying if we're offering just Christianity, it's not helpful to that other person. In the end, only love wins. And this is where on this morning's theme of broken relationships, I'm going to speak primarily from what I've done wrong this past week, because there's so much material. Um, and, and I'm looking back at, at the landscape of my life and the highs and lows and the valleys, and, and, and I'm going to pull out from that rubble what I know has not gone well. And if, so if this shortens your learning curve with your relational skill set, then you win from all of my, the carnage I left behind. But, you, you know, when you imagine a guy like Paul writing this, you've got to think, oh, what a, what a lovely guy he must have been. It's just so gracious, so wonderful, so, so in tune with what love really means. But he wasn't always this guy. Let's go to Acts chapter 15 for just a moment, Acts 15, 36. Now, I want to put this story in context to feel the tension. And while I'm doing that, I want to give you a, a, a few words to help you remember this very well because I'm going to apply this to myself here, and we'll see that in the context. When I place my preference over the principle of love for a person, I'm going to create poison. Preference over the principle of love towards a person will create poison. Paul was a man who um, was highly gifted, highly intelligent, and, and he was also a person that was uh, pretty active, working against this new movement called the way. That's what, there was, that's what this whole Jesus thing was referred to back in the 30s, uh, the original 30s. <laughs> that, was, that was stupid, I know. But I didn't want to disappoint you guys thinking that you're going to get something else on a Sunday morning. So, um, and by the way, he had a preference of how people should expect to interact with God. And this new thing that was happening was not his preference. And so up to and including murder, incarceration, and, and, and whippings and beatings. You know, a theocracy, the way people think they want a theocracy now. Listen, by, by the way, I've got to tell you as a pastor, I don't want a theocracy in America. Because religion is ugly. He came out of that culture and, and on the way to incarcerate and punish more people who were part of the way, he has an incredibly powerful mystical experience with Jesus Christ. It changes his life to the point that when he understood how much damage he had caused to what was actually right and healthy, he places himself in exile in the desert for three years, according to a letter he wrote to a churches in Galatia. All right, now let me flash back to another man. This man was known as a guy named uh, Barnabas, which is really not a name, it's a, it's a nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
And so he was the kind of guy that when you interacted with him, or you interacted with him, and you walked away feeling better, he just had a way of um, encouraging you, making you feel better about yourself. He saw the best in you, and and he brought that out. Okay? To the point that the original students of Jesus said, man, this guy's a son of encouragement. We ought to call him the son of encouragement. And so the son of encouragement became his name. And so when you said Barnabas, what you were saying is, hey, son of encouragement. All right? That's this guy. Well, he starts teaching people about Jesus Christ. And folks are getting excited about it. And he says, I know a guy. A little rough around the edges. But he's a great teacher. And, and I think maybe now that he's processed Jesus Christ a little differently, he could explain what he knows about Jesus to these people. And so he goes to get Paul out of that exile, invites him into the community, and, well, and see, understand that he's meeting people whose dad he had incarcerated, whose mom he had whipped, whose uncle had thrown out of the community. He's meeting these people. Everybody has a story. Some of them still carrying the scars of the result of his life. And there was a little pushback. You know what Barnabas does? He stands up for Paul. And Paul becomes part of the community. And whether you have had a religious history background or even a Western civilization history, you know the story of Paul has impacted Western culture. Well, Paul and Barnabas decide to travel and, and start little communities, little small groups of Jesus communities they went, they had a great time. They took a guy with them named John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin. Somewhere along the line, I don't know if he got scared, got sick, got tired, got homesick, who knows. He bailed on them. Now, Paul had a preference for action. I mean, the man that he was when he hated the way and the man that he became when he first started in the movement of the way, there was very little difference. It was just a slightly different message. And so Paul says, you know what would be a good idea? Let's go revisit those communities again. Let's go talk to our friends and check out how they're doing. So Paul and Barnabas went on a road trip. You know, you know how that is, right? You go on a road trip with somebody. You hang out with them. You spend time with them. You see them sleep. You know, you, you share a, a shower. Maybe not at the same time, but I mean, uh, afterwards, you, you get to know somebody. They're just close to you, right? So that's what's happening here. Okay. Verse 36, so sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas says, what a great idea. Let's take John. Verse 38, Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. This is the guy where it says, love always trusts, love always hopes, love is patient, love always protects, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, so the son of encouragement and the love guy fight. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. What the hell with you? What the hell with you? <laughs> Trouble well, God bless you. You know, I mean, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left and commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cecilia strengthening the churches. Now, again, since my mind works like a movie, I, I take liberty in filling in the gaps of the story of the scriptures that are not there. So here's what I'm thinking, first of all. 
John had to know this, that he was being discounted by an important figure in this organization. Now, if you're a man, and you know who you are, um, I had nothing, so I just threw that out. In fact, I'm, in fact women, I'm going to tell you a secret about guys. We absolutely are so freaking fragile that we need men to affirm us as men. And if we don't get it from our fathers, we have to get it from an uncle, from a coach, from uh, some male important in our life. We have to have that affirmation. And it's usually something like, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay. You have what it takes to be a man. On the other side, we also have to have the respect, even if you have to pretend, from a woman. It could be our moms, could be an aunt, could be a sister. Hopefully it's our wives when we get married. But if we don't have that, we're just not right. So I think of John Mark, and I know my own life, and if I had somebody that I respected and cared for and said, I don't want to take this guy. You feel it now? And Barnabas couldn't let that go because Barnabas stood up for John Mark like he stood up for Paul. But I understand how that conversation must have gone. Paul, we need to take this guy. No, I'm not taking him. I, I know he's your cousin, but no, he, 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 this was an important mission, and he failed. I'm not taking him. I'm not investing in this man any longer. I'm tired. We've done it. You know, you can hear that. His preference over the principle of love. And, and Barnabas, who was an important part of the early movement prior to Paul, brings Paul in. Paul, I, I stood up for you. I, I brought you in. Awesome. What do I owe you for that? Wasn't that your duty? I mean, can you, can you hear Paul? Shouldn't you have done that? What, now, what, your gifts and your love comes with strings? And the disagreement was public. And Paul says, Silas, you and I go. But I'm done with John Mark. And then I wonder what the trip was like sailing to Cyprus, John Mark and Barnabas. How does Barnabas put the spin on it for John Mark? Right? Because, you know, this is kind of like, um, this is not t-ball, what everybody says they're not keeping score, but they do. This is not like where you get the good eye award for, for, uh, for not swinging and standing like a statue. I mean, how do you encourage a guy that's been absolutely rejected by an important figure in an organization? And I'm sure John Mark needed it. And what's fascinating to me is that he had one-on-one -on -one time with the son of encouragement that he absolutely needed. Now, this story has a happy ending. Near the end of Paul's life, he tells Timothy... Please bring Mark. He's become so important to me. But there was a few years where I'm sure it was fractured. A few years while it was fractured. Okay, time to be transparent. Um, my mom was in the hospital recently, about a month ago. And uh, she's part of a spiritual community um, over in the city of Maywood. And uh, she and I don't talk. We just, they're just, you know, we're just not those people. Now, some of you are close to your mother and father, or your, uh, but I mean, it's, that just wasn't, well, how can I put this? Probably in English would be the best way to start off with and then tell you the truth. Um, 
my father, whose marriage blew up with my mom 20, 25 years into it. In fact, he was in his 40s, so I'm older than him when he busted his marriage up with adultery. There was just a collateral fallout that just happened because of that. Because I still wanting to be affirmed and connected to my father, it, it seemed to be that you were taking sides against my mother. And there was just mess after mess after mess. It was just weirdness for 20 years. And, and, um, and I've mentioned before that there are some relationships that you always go back to this weird, weaker position. Now, for those of us that have parents that are older than us, well, that was stupid. Of course they're older than us. <laughs> As opposed to the parents that are younger than you. <laughs> what planet does that happen? See, look, here, there's, you don't have to be smart to do this. Any idiot can do this. This idiot is doing this week. Those of you who have parents that are senior citizens, I guess you should say, you know, my mom's 78. Yeah, she's 78. Um, that, uh, that, I mean, I, I, when I would try to reach out to her, I went back to that angry, frustrated teenager. So the minute she rolled her eyes about something, I said, well, I don't know, Tavo. Uh, okay, you know, I was just done. I'm also the same child adult relationship that at seven years old, when she was crying about something I had done wrong, I told her, I'm not going to let your tears manipulate me. I'm surprised. Do you wonder why I'm still alive? Why she didn't send me home to Jesus right then and there? I was that guy, that kid, so hard and stubborn. So I went to the hospital and I walked into the room and without trying to, you know those, those relationships where you have to psych yourself up to it? Like, those of you who left your homes and you go home for Thanksgiving, you remember why you left? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, so, so, you, you, so I went into the room without thinking about psyching myself up. I just went to go see my mom. And we started talking. Now, I know that seems odd. Like, why would that be odd? But you have no idea. That's odd for my mom and I. And so we talked about my dad. We talked about life and church and the grandkids and her and I, we talked about how I told her, you know, I'm starting to feel old now. And she said, oh, I remember feeling old at this age. And we just, you know, because it was a, a person that has 26 years on me. And we could just share stories about, you know, she's further along the trajectory than I am, right? And just other issues. And I told you about our, both of us had this death obsession. And we talked about the video we want to film for our funerals and, um, you know, that whole thing. But as we were talking, she said to me, Tavo, have you ever forgiven me for what I've done? And so I had to say to her the truth. I, then I processed that a while ago. And I was fine. And, but she stopped me and knew enough to know that, that she needed to hear it from me. So I told her. See, those of you who have parents, which is all of you, you need to understand, I know at some level you need us to affirm you when you're younger. I get that. But you have to understand that by the time you hit your 30s and 40s, we need you to affirm us that we weren't total idiots, that we had our own broken edges, jagged points, and though we loved you, we know that we made mistakes. So I told her that I'd forgiven her. And in this 
very powerful moment, I asked her, you know, you would do me a huge favor if you would pray for me now. And so as I knelt there, she laid her hand on my head and prayed for me. And I was released, finally, out of that prison of my own making. Because you have to understand that you may have feel the right to withhold forgiveness, but you make a prison of your own soul. It's not them. They don't hold the key to release you. This is the weird part. You hold the key to release yourself and open the door and step out of that. I don't know how to put it either way. Listen, I know husbands have cheated. People have lied to you. They trashed your, your previous reputation. That's why you're at this church, not the church you once were. Some pastor was a total idiot. Teacher at school touched you inappropriately. I get it. Truly, I do. But understand that if you don't forgive, you're just holding poison. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, like that's not one of your identifiers. I totally get that too. Listen, I, I, you, know, you don't want to buy the whole boat right now? Totally fine. Understand though that the forgiveness principle still operates for you. That somewhere along the line, you're going to have to be able to get the ability to forgive. And to me, I find the most important cleansing ability to forgive comes from God himself. When I experience uh, forgiveness from him, I'm able to release here. Now, let me show you what Jesus teaches. Let's go to Mark chapter 5 for just a moment. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 23. Now, I want to tell you that this short couple of verses is in the context of the teaching of Jesus regarding murder. This is where he places this story. This is where he places this principle, is in the teaching regarding murder. By the way, let me just check in. We all think murder is wrong? All right, good. I was making sure that we we're all on the same page. He goes on to say, look, yeah, you know, yeah, I get it. Killing is wrong. But discounting people has the same moral weight to God. So when you have a broken relationship, fix that. And it's in the train of or the context of murder. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So here's the first dynamic. You, um, you have something, she has something against me. Rebecca has something against me. Ryan has something against me, okay? And by the way, it doesn't say whether it was my fault or not. It just says that Ryan and I and I'm going to pick on Ryan because, well, it's an easy target. I'm going to pick on Ryan because he's, he's strong. Everybody give Ryan a round of applause. So Ryan and I, whether I made a flippant remark that hurt his feelings, whether I did something actually stupid and clumsy and it, it, it hurt him, cost him, I'm over it. But it says he has still something against me. This is what God says. Look, don't come to church and think that somehow you're fulfilling your spiritual priorities correctly if you left him hurt. Because this matters to me. You know, you, you can bring your tithe, you can do, you could do the candle thing, you could genuflect, you could, whatever you want to do, awesome. 
However, however you express your spirituality. But if this is damaged, this is the priority to me. Now, I, I want to point this out. If you want a litmus test of where you are as a person, that your love for God is in proportion to the way you love people, there's just no way around it. So when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you yell at your kids, damn you, why can't you get this right? That you just don't love God. You know, when, when John says you can't hate, you can't be angry, you can't be frustrated with the person in front of you and claim to love God, who you, you can't see. See, this is how I think some of us have, have, have conned ourselves out of the, the hard work of reconciliation with people. Oh, I love God, you know, I mean, I, you know, this is just fractured, but man, I love you, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer, I'm going to set up chairs, I'm going to clean bathrooms, I'm going to teach Sunday school, I'm, I'm going to go to small group, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm gonna, and, and this matters to God. No, it doesn't, if that's not fixed. And some of us who are familiar with this book, we've heard the concept of we've lost our first love, and we place that with God. It's not. Your first love expression is people. So I, I'm telling you as a husband, guys, if you are not loving and kind to your wife, it's a fraud. Wives, when, you're, when you treat your husband disrespectfully and you know you're wounding him, you just don't love God. When you discount on a relationship, especially if you're the one in the power, you know what I mean? It's like you're an educator, you have a student. And you've said something maybe discounting to the student. You know you should make it right, but you go, I can't apologize to them. They're the student. If I show weakness, then they'll run all over me. Now you understand you're showing such incredible strength and power to apologize to somebody. When you're in, in the dynamic of your, that you're in, when you have the power over that individual, and we all have it. You know, you, you know we talked about this last Sunday. Different relationships where you're stronger than they are in other relationships. Uh, listen, you know how you are when you talk to a cop that's pulled you over? Versus the way you talk to your kids sometimes? The shift in power? They say, now you guys get it. Okay, good. When you are in the power seat and you choose not to reconcile because, you know, you don't... It, well, if I, if I apologize, you know, I'm going to show weakness. As parents, we, sh we ought to apologize for a lot of things we've said and done to our kids. So, Jesus says, look, when you're coming to connect to me, I can't if this is damaged and you knowingly let it go. You are not my student at this point. You are not mimicking my life. You're not following my teachings this matters more to me is that relationship being restored than you doing something for me. But it's a two-way street. Go to Mark 11 for just a moment. Mark 11, verse 20. Jesus, as a rabbi, would, would, would walk and talk a peripatetic university, a walking university. And so when Jesus would say, you know, come follow me, it wasn't, you know, sit through endless Bible studies and get your head so full of knowledge but never do anything about it. It was literally, follow me, as he walked and talked. And so when he spoke about uh, flowers or birds or a fig tree or a mountain or fish in the sea, 
It's because he was walking by flowers and saw birds and a mountain and a fig tree and a fish in the sea. He was there. So we would use billboards, computers, cars to explain spiritual truths right now. So he's walking by, there was a fig tree issue going on. And in the context of belief and, and trusting God for results at times, he tells this story. Verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots, and Peter remembered and said, Hey, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Yep, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. Now let me stop here for just a moment because I know every nut job on Christian TV has made this like you can get a Cadillac out of this thing or the Mercedes or a sweet ride or the big house. It has nothing to do with this. See, it's... it's um, it's less, uh, less us needing to do things for God and actually believing more things about Him. And here's what I mean also, for just a moment. Have you ever noticed how you have to sometimes kind of psych yourself up into a situation? Who, who played sports here? Uh, football games, right? Basketball games, soccer games. Sometimes there was an important game that mattered and you, you, you had to fight that nervous tension. Uh, my son, who, who does mixed martial arts, you know, and he's, he's, he's pretty good at it. I mean, I can still take him with cheap shots. Um, <laughs> Because, listen, age and treachery will always outdo youth and skill. <laughs> Is your shoe untied, son? <laughs> Salt. <clears throat> Hot coffee. Um, anyway. In fact, it's something we were joking about this. You know, we start to goof around the kitchen. My wife's always, no, don't hurt him. And I always wonder, Is she talking to me or my son? <laughs> and, and so then my son, of course, will put me in a T-bar, lock me up. And I said, you got to sleep sometime, son. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the thing about believing God. Some of you have not believed the fact. Oh, better yet. Because we use the word believe. That's not strong enough. You have not experienced the truth that God actually loves you. I think that's the, probably the first breaking point, the first hurdle we have to get past. And I know why. Because others haven't loved you well. Or you were pretty unlovable. Or you were hard to love. And so when you first experience that moment that God loves you and so incredibly for you, it's so liberating. And then you step into another area where you begin to realize your own spiritual poverty and your darkness and your weirdness. Because I know some of your stories. You've told me. Some of you know mine. I mean, it goes from self-injury to jail time to so much stuff. The point is, when you experience God's forgiveness, here is, where's that poster? Our logo? The mosaic thing about having um, the broken pieces coming together to make something beautiful when light hits it? Now this makes more sense to me. Because some of you have been hurt so badly that you have jagged points and sharp edges, and what forgiveness does, it seems to fill in the gaps and smooth it out, so that when you become close to somebody that you deeply love, you're not hurting them inadvertently. See, some of you, you're, you're, it's not that you're, it's not that you mean to. <laughs> it reminds me, I, I volunteered with the sheriffs and Whittier PD, 
And, you know, you would tell people, you have the right to remain silent. But sometimes they just didn't have the ability. <laughs> Some of you, you mean to love and you want to do what's healthy. You're just not capable. Because you're not experienced forgiveness. You haven't experienced love. And you don't want to give forgiveness back. And so all those jagged edges and points are still there in your soul. And so when you come close to somebody, even if it's in a healthy way, you hurt them. And you wonder why your relationships are broken consistently over and over and over again. And so in this story, Jesus says when he talks about belief, it's not pumping yourself up and psyching yourself up like a game. I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. It's experiencing it. And then you're able to give what you have. So he says, look, in verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. Now, this isn't critical. And, he adds this, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against someone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. See, the first one was, if somebody has something against you, go make it right. This one was, if you have something against this person, go make it right. Because I think God knows human nature. See, I, I, I took pride in the fact that I was a magnanimous, gracious individual when people apologized to me. <laughs> you ever had that thought in your head? You should apologize to that person. No, I'm not going to. But if they apologize to me, I'll be cool about it. When they apologize, I'll be, right? Because you place it on them. But Jesus is saying it doesn't matter. One of you has to be the Christian and imitate the life of Jesus. So whether it's the, you have something against them or they have something against you, he says, go make that right. And so in this... Um, in the past two months, understanding what happened with my mom and I, it's so funny how we can get so locked up. I, I had my boss, a coworker, my wife, a close friendship here in this community that I just damaged. Another friend here, another close male friend. See, is that it? I think so. All of them come to me and say, You've really hurt me lately, and you're not yourself. I don't know what it's going on with you. Now, my first reaction was, <laughs> get over it. I wish I could tell you I was, I was a better person than that. You know, go to the spiritual Home Depot, buy some wood, get some tools, build a bridge, and get over it. You know, I mean, I was, that's, that, but that's my abruptness, my cold, cynical, da-da-da, you know, black and white, done, it's over. But when I process back further and <laughs> preparing this talk. What's really funny to me is how often the talks, really, sometimes you prepare a message and most of time the message is preparing you. That I saw over and over again that the consistent theme in all of those stories was me. Now understand, my boss wasn't reprimanding. My coworker wasn't, you know, you took a sale from me. It was like, hey, you're not yourself lately. What's, what's with you? I go, well, who am I if I'm not myself? Which is what I told one person. When my wife told me, it ended up an argument. And when I hear others, I think, how can I put this? 
I know God speaks through the scriptures, but when I'm open to hear him, I hear him in, in many places. You know, it's funny, sometimes when, you, when you're processing this in your head, you know, God's voice sounds like your voice, so at first it's confusing, right? But when I hear God angry with me, it sounds like my wife's voice, so that's, that's a little confusing as well. But it, I, I often hear things through films and movies and poetry and music. So as I'm watching The Soloist Friday night, it, everything just clicked for me where I was. That I was frustrated, that I was tired, and I was impatient, and it came out. And while I was trying to come off with, but I'm standing for the principle of preference. I want the best for them. I violated the principle of love that I see in the scripture. I didn't always hope. I didn't always trust. I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind, and I sure as hell didn't protect them over my preference, over a person that results in poison. So I had to go back to different individuals. I'm sorry. And you know, there's, there, it, you know what it's like to ask for a favor when you come up short, like you have to borrow money? Hey dude, can you give me a ride to the airport? Can you help me move? Can you help me hide the body? <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to you as your friend, as your pastor, as part of this community. You have to forgive. We have nothing else to offer people. You have to forgive. You have nothing else to offer people. You have to forgive. You have nothing else to offer people. You have to forgive. You have nothing else to offer people. Love always wins. Forgiveness is a moment. Forgiveness is instant. Trust may take a while. But forgiving allows the individual and you to rebuild trust. There's two people that speak for me in my life that I find as models. One of them is definitely Mandela, another one is Dr. King. I don't think they could have been the men who they were and shaped the world as they had, had they not forgiven injustice at some level. They fought against it, but they forgave what happened to them. So, if you're asking how many times to forgive, each time. Hey, um, I'm gonna ask you guys to do something, because I'm pretty sure all of you have this. You guys have a phone. Why don't you pull it out for just a moment? Go to your addresses or your contacts, however you want to pull that up. Flip through that. Who, who, who do you have a broken relationship with? I mean, look at this. Who, who are these people that you may have, you don't talk to them anymore? They were close friends at one time. Maybe it's a family member. See, I don't know if there's a better time or a wrong time, but I think it's always the right time just to reach out to somebody. So, some of you, there's this, there's this new fad that's going on. It's, I think it's called text messaging. <laughs> SMS. You know what you could do right now? You could send them a text. Hey, I don't know where we, how we got here, but I wish we could get back to where we were. Maybe you need to tell them you're sorry. We say, listen, I, I, I just miss your company. Maybe it's somebody that, that's asked forgiveness from you and you, just, you were just not in a place where you could give it. Say, listen, I'm sorry that I did that to you. I need to ask you forgiveness now for what I've done. But you're more than free to do so right now. There's no reason why you can't do so. I mean, if not today, when? Here it is on the Lord's Day, church, right? 
You're coming here to do the right thing, and God's saying, look, if there's something between you guys, go make that right. Listen, let me have a word of prayer for those of you who maybe you want to send that text message. Feel free to do so while we're praying. Father, thank you so much for, for forgiving us and loving us and showing us such incredible patience and kindness and forgiveness. Now, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we became impatient with people, we withheld kindness, we were reluctant to even reconcile. And so what I do pray is that you would make us people that mimic your life this way, that we would be people who are known as those who love and those who forgive. We stand up against religious bullies. We protect. We are kind. We don't keep a record of wrongs. That, that we always hope for the best. We see what's good in people and, and point that out to them. We are sons and daughters of encouragement that we constantly look for what's right. We stand up for the truth in a person's life. And we just love them as you taught us that love will win in the end. Like you won us over as well. So, for others who are just right now beginning to experience and see their own jagged edges and sharp points that they have damaged relationships in the past and even if they have a healthy desire to be in a good relationship, uh, help them now to experience your forgiveness and your kindness and to experience this in a healing way. They could smooth that out. But as a reminder for all of us, in the presence of this group of people, out loud so they will hear this, we are all broken pieces. We all have jagged edges. And in a community like this where we come together, when your love hits us, it, it creates something lovely and kind. Thank you for your loveliness and your kindness towards us. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.